Hello and welcome to my 2021 preview for Saturday the 2nd of January 2021. Coming up this week, I'll be sharing my writing goals for the first quarter of the brand new year and for the year ahead. I'll have an update on my writing news, including details of a new Facebook ads campaign based around a UK TV series. And I'll have some news about this podcast and, plot spoiler, more episodes are on the way. I should start by wishing you a very happy new year, and I do hope that this new year is considerably better than the last and that we're all going to be able to be together again soon. We'll be following some Spanish traditions out here this year. Uh, So one of the things the Spanish do is at midnight they eat 12 grapes, and I hasten to add they're seedless grapes. So we'll have some bubbly and some seedless grapes and all you've got to do is try not to choke yourself to death at the beginning of a brand new year Uh, but that's why they have seedless grapes they're specially grown to make them easy to to basically get you know chew and get them down fast so yeah at midnight 12 grapes the other thing is now you might might want to put your fingers in your ears if you're of a sensitive disposition i'll just give you a moment to do that because the other thing in spain they have it all over the supermarkets, is that it's traditional and good luck to wear red underwear at the beginning of a new year. So right at this moment, now you might, if if you're eating food and you're a little bit prone to be queasy, just put it down. Uh, Yeah, I'm wearing specially purchased Spanish red boxer shorts at the moment because uh, we want to follow as many traditions as we possibly can. You can carry on eating now. I'll, I'll stop talking about boxer shorts. And the other thing is, that we're going to have a Spanish broth on New Year's Day. Uh, and also, we'll be, <laughs> we'll be celebrating the new year by watching the final part of Bridgerton on Netflix. I don't know whether you've been watching that series, but blimey, it's good. I don't normally like things like that, sort of period dramas. But like everything Netflix touches, they've turned it into gold, and I'm thoroughly enthralled by this series. And we've saved the last part to watch on New Year's Eve. So by the time you listen to this, it will be a brand new year. But that's how we intend to see in the new year this year. And also because, again, my mum's on her own. Um, I forgot to tell you that this last week, we had a Skype Christmas dinner with my mum uh, so that um, we'd got the Christmas tree at the end of the table and, and set the table nicely and put candles on it so that the Skype view of our table was nice and she could see us either side of the table. So we all had um, Christmas dinner together and then on New Year's Eve, so um, I can't, I haven't got the energy these days to stay up to UK New Year, but uh, in the Spanish New Year, which is an hour before the UK New Year, we'll be joining my mum to sort of toast with some bubbly on Skype. So those are the plans for the new year in the teak household. Okay, but you're not here to learn all about that. You're here to find out about my writing plans and what I've been up to. So let me start this episode by talking about my quarter one writing plan. So my June, February and March 2021 writing plans. So I had intended, I had intended to start writing the New Walk Bay Trilogy in February of 2021. And the idea behind that was I just wanted to pace things a little better. I always find that when we come out to Spain for Christmas, all the books are bunched up and I'm trying to edit one and write another one and publish another one it all gets a bit intense now that's all of my own making and you know I survive at the end of the books get published so it's not really that big a deal it's a bit of a first world problem but I I was trying to work out a better pacing to see if I could just write and and, and not get all knotted up at the end of the year uh, in 2021 but I got to tell you that the thought having just published 
on Monday, Bound by Blood, the thought now of having to sit down and write another three thrillers uh, horrifies me. I'm just not ready for it. In actual fact, I'm fairly advanced in the planning stages. Before we came out to Spain, we did a, a recce trying the locations around Morecambe. So I, I got all my photographs. I've done all my, my location scouting. The other thing is I've had the big idea, the, the big idea that's going to frame the three books. But I, I'm not quite there. There's a, there's, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a veteran of trilogies, as you'll know by now. But uh, you need to have... You need to have three arcs across each book and then a large arc across the three books. And I'm not quite there yet. And every time I try and think about it, my brain turns to fudge because I, I've barely downloaded the files from the last trilogy yet. So I realise I just need a break. I need some downtime. The the other thing is, is that, uh, you know, as I said to you last week, it's quite hard for me to apply myself for any great length of time while we're out here there's so many distractions and our life is so uh, disorganized in a nice way I hasten to add but I don't think that I can be writing that many words and I don't really want to because the other thing is is, is we were hoping to have the kids out for Christmas obviously that's not going to happen we were hoping that my mum would be able to join us you know, we were hoping things were going to be better that doesn't look like that's going to happen but if they are able to join us it will be you know, and my mum's had a vaccination if she feels safe to travel and she can travel. And the kids may just be able to squeeze a visit out again, just depending how everything goes. They may be able to squeeze out a visit before we leave at the end of March. So what I felt was I don't want to start writing books. And then if I've got guests having to lock myself away in this study that I've created here uh, and, and not mix with people, having to get my head down and write. So I just decided to cut myself some slack with that and just give myself much more thinking time. So my aim in 2021 is to write the third and final Morecambe Bay trilogy. And I'm not going to write, though, in quarter one, but I am going to plan Morecambe Bay trilogy three, book one in detail. And books one to three, I'll get the general story arc, but I won't do the chapter by chapter um, planning at that stage. So that means I won't be writing fiction unless I have some inspiration from the heavens, I won't be writing any fiction until May. The rough landscape of the year is that January, February, March, we're still in Spain. So I, I want to keep working, but I need to be doing jobs that I can pick up and put down. That's that's really what I want to do in quarter one. But I will plan the book in March. And then in April, I'm just figuring that we'll be resorting our life out once again, unpacking all the stuff and just getting our life back together, connecting the electricity, you know, all the things, you know, all that sort of stuff, you know, bills and all that sort of stuff. So I'm, I'm, I'm just again cutting myself some slack in April, though I'm pretty sure I'll get my head down and be working in April. But I'm not planning anything in April. And then I intend to start writing Morecambe Bay Trilogy Three Book One in May. And by that stage, that book will be chapter by chapter planned, so I can hit the ground running. So very, very roughly. May, June is going to be the first book. July, August, the second book. September, October, the third book. And then I've booked Benidorm in November, which, mean I won't, which means I won't be writing in November. I think essentially I don't want to have the pressure of writing when, when I'm out here. Uh, not on any great deadlines, basically. So I will be starting uh, the planning of Morecambe Bay 3 in March. So uh, I will also be publishing, I think I told you this last week, the 
the two existing trilogies, I will publish a six-pack of those books in at the end of January. And at the end of February, I will publish Morecambe Bay Trilogy 2 as a box set, a box set of, of three books. And because I've already now got the final version of Bound by Blood done, I actually compiled those last weekend, I think it was, and they're actually all primed and ready to go. So they, I could release them now, uh, but they're both on pre-order. The final versions of those files are already done. It's a breeze with Vellum. I know I keep telling you about Vellum, but don't resist it. Just buy it when you can, uh, particularly if you intend on writing two or more books say three say three let's say three if you if you intend on, on on writing more than three books just buy vellum and be done with it it's a great investment for you but yeah it takes me no time at all to pull those box sets together in vellum so they're just sat there primed and ready to go and then the other thing is i want to push and promote that Morecambe bay six pack around the second series of the bay television series which is coming to the uk on itv in january sometime i haven't actually seen a date for it yet i've just seen lots of advertising about it saying it's coming in january so in actual fact the the bay is a psychological thriller tv series on a channel called itv in the uk and it was watching the first series of that that really sparked my my brain in terms of writing left for dead it just got me thinking about Morecambe and scenarios and and my books nothing like the bay on other than it shares Morecambe bay as its setting um and they were they were quite flexible with their settings when they did the when they did the series there's all, all sorts of moans about people saying oh you can see them driving up and down the prom but they're driving the wrong way all sorts of little things like that in the series um, you know, which is always, I guess, one of the hazards of having something location dependent. But no, my my uh, thrillers have absolutely nothing to do with the Bay, other than they share the setting, and that watching the Bay was what inspired me to write about that setting because I'd worked as a student with my well, she was not my wife then, she was my girlfriend then. Uh, we'd worked in a holiday camp uh, in in Morecambe Bay, and that was the setting of my books. So, having said that. I'm very, very aware that if you watch and enjoy The Bay on TV, you're probably going to like my books. So I'll tell you about it a little bit later, but I am actually I'm ramping up my advertising campaign around my 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 Morecambe Bay trilogy because the buzz is, is already on social media uh, and on the telly adverts around that new series of The Bay on TV. So I'd be crazy not to try and capitalise on that. So what am I going to do when I'm out in Spain? I, I do want to write, but I don't want to write fiction. And so I'm going to go back to what I did uh, in 2020 when COVID struck. And if you listen to this podcast and have done for some time, you'll recall that when COVID struck, I said to you that I really couldn't see my way through to writing fiction. It uses a different part of the brain and needs a level of concentration that I just didn't feel that I could give fiction at that time. So I postponed my fiction last year and I wrote three non-fiction books and I found those non-fiction books an absolute breeze. And by the time I'd written them, I was more than ready to get back to thrillers. And so I'm going to revert back to that at the beginning of this year. I'm really not ready to write thrillers again now. I, I would, I, you know, I'd like to write some science fiction, but I'm, I'm not going to write any more science fiction yet. Not until, I'm just not making enough money from my science fiction compared to my thrillers. And I'm, I'm kind of waiting. I, I've, uh, John and James with the uh, psychological, not psychological, the science fiction 
trilogy that I co-wrote with them. I know that they've had some audiobook deals done with some of their books, and I'm kind of hanging on to see if those three books that I wrote with them go into an audiobook arrangement, uh, because at that point they would become lucrative enough for me to say, okay, I'll write another three of those. I'm dying to write another three, because I loved the characters and I loved the scenarios. I, I was really pleased with that, um, the concept in those books, and it was always set up as a, as a serial. But again, I basically... My work is determined really strategically, either by the amount of uh, money that I'm earning from it. And there's no doubt at all that I earn the most money from my psychological thrillers at the moment. Um, and strategically, I'm very happy to have non-fiction books because non-fiction books just kind of give me that, um, you know, that what well, they call it expert positioning, you know, for, for webby stuff and things like that. And that's quite handy in my life outside of writing. So... What I'm, what I'm planning to do, and again, we'll just see how things go, but what I'm planning to do is to write two non-fiction books, one in January and one in February. And I have actually alluded to this all quite some time ago. I'm, I'm going to write one book on author platforms, and that was re-inspired by looking at Dave Gochran's author platform book. And I read it through and thought, yeah, that's fine. I, I, can, I can write something like that. Uh, but putting my spin on it. And also, I want to write one on email marketing as well. Now, these two books are already partially written. Years and years and years ago, I wrote, was it seven, six or seven non-fiction guides? And if you look at my non-fiction name on Amazon, if you look at PT, you can still see, I think, two of them, I think, still come into the feed. But I wrote guides on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, webinars, and email, I think it was email marketing, and something else that I can't remember. And so there were six guides, and those guides at the time reflected what I was teaching in my corporate work, and I would sell a lot of those books to people who were doing my corporate work. It worked really well for me. But they were books that had screenshots in them. So they were very step by step by step. This is how you do it. This is how you do it. And as you know, I learned my lesson from doing those books. That They were incredibly useful books. They're very popular books. But they dated very quickly. And so I stopped doing that, um, which is fine. But I took the email marketing book forward and the WordPress book forward. And those two books were redeveloped and updated because those were the best-selling ones. And as you know, I've had those books selling since 2017, I think it is, and they both, they both still sell. But I've been mindful that I need to do something with them because it, it's a bit cheeky. I mean, I do, as I told you last week, I do say they were last updated in 2017, but it is a bit cheeky still selling those. So I wanted to update them in a way that, that shared a lot of the information that's in them, but that uh, was more timeless, basically. So that's what I'm planning to do. The author platform book won't just be about WordPress. WordPress will be mentioned in it, but it won't be just about WordPress. It'll be about all sorts of other things. And the email book will be about email strategies and, and concepts and, and terminology, that sort of thing. But the aim of them will be like the three books I wrote last year is that they don't date as quickly as the previous nonfiction books that I did. Now, when I did those six or seven guides, whatever it was in, in 2000, whatever it was, I 
actually amalgamated them and made a huge thick book it was like a for dummies book that basically i brought all all the i called it how to build your author platform and again if you look on amazon you, you'll probably find the cover for it somewhere i don't sell it anymore uh, but it looked all right actually it was a nice little cover and it was about the size of a for dummies book and i'd got all posh with it you know i'd, I'd give it all the i'd got a proper index in it and i'd i'd put figures on all the images and basically i'd brought in everything that I'd written in the shorter guides and then I'd also written some additional content about building your author platform and, and which elements you needed in your author platform. So what I've been doing this week is I've I've got the MailChimp book and I've got the author platform book and I've got the original doc files that I made them from and I've been moving them into Scrivener and stripping out content that won't be in the new book but retaining content that, that can be in the new book. So some of the content is already done because I've already written it, um, which is why I think I can possibly get two nonfiction books done, one in January and one in February. So that is my aim. Now, if I need to, I'll bump that to March and April if I need a little bit more time on those books. But judging from last year, you see, the, the thing about uh, writing nonfiction is I could write it in front of the telly. I could write it with music on. I could do an hour and stop. I just find nonfiction so much easier to pick up and put down. And it, it doesn't need the concentration that writing a, writing a psychological thriller trilogy does because uh, your brain is frazzled at the end when you're thinking of all the things that you've got to tie up, all the loose ends and things like that. You know, I'm absolutely frazzled at the end of a psychological thriller a trilogy, which is why I just need some downtime. Last year, having written the, the three non-fiction books, it just completely uh, stimulated a different part of my mind. And by the time I finished, I was dying to get started on more psychological thrillers. So that's the, the kind of strategy this year. I'm using the non-fiction as a palate cleanse. And, uh, you know, it usually has worked in the past for me. I do, do like, this is why I like writing in different genres, because sometimes you just add enough and you need to write something I'm quite happy with the writing it's not the writing I've had enough of it's the genre that I've had enough of and I just need to put my head in a different headspace and then I can come back to psychological thrillers or whatever it is I'm coming back to and it's all fresh again and I'm usually dying to get at it and start uh, writing so uh, yeah I, I plan to start writing those well next week in many ways I already have started writing them because I've started on the files and assembling the content for that so two non-fiction books, an email marketing guide, and an author platform book. Now, last year, something that I found incredibly valuable was having a lot of you. Um, I shared, I gave you a share link in Google Drive so that you could read the books as I did them. But the value, the value to me was that you told me about things that you didn't understand that I hadn't made clear enough. Um, I got some great feedback from some of my listeners in the States who would say, oh, I don't understand that phrase or that terminology that you're using. That was incredibly valuable to me. So if you think that you would be interested in having a look at these documents and giving me feedback as we go along, the turnaround's pretty tight. So it's like a moving bus. You know, if you don't run and, and, and jump on fast, then you miss it. Um, when I start writing, I, I write pretty fast and then the drawbridge goes up pretty quickly on comments. So um, I'm always very clear at the top of the document when I've figured out 
what my writing schedule is going to be. I usually say to you, I'll start writing on this date. I will finish writing on this date. And I'm not interested in any more feedback after this date. That's what I say about a moving bus. I'm usually pretty clear about the dates. So, you know, if you think that's something that you'd be interested in, obviously you get to read the book for free. Uh, but I, I also value your feedback incredibly on these things. It worked superbly last year. I was very happy with that experience. Just drop me a line, if you would, at paul at paulteague.com if you'd like to be on the share list for those. So when I put it into Google Docs, um, I will share the document with you and I will give you commenting rights so that you can put little comments in there and tell me about anything that you don't feel is clear. But um, the first book I'm writing is the author platform book. The second one will be the email marketing book. And obviously, if I find that I'm squeezed on time, I will prioritize the author platform book and that the email marketing book might get bumped to another time. So just, just to be very clear about that. But just email me paul at paulteague.com if you'd like to be put on the share list for those books uh, they're not ready to go just yet um, i'm still messing around with scrivener and stripping out all the stuff that i don't want um, and the other thing is by the way is you have to be quite flexible because uh, the way i work i work quite fast and you know sometimes you might look at things and think well, that's a bit clear or that's out of sequence but it all makes sense in the end <laughs> so sometimes you just have to go with the flow uh, but it, you know i think the other thing that um from feedback last year is that a lot of you get value out of seeing me write a book in real time. Um, so again, if, that, if you think that's of interest to you, just let me know. Okay, so 2021, what else do I want to do? I want to keep up my running three week, uh, three weekly runs is what I'm doing at the moment. Um, what I've done, actually, I should just tell you this, actually, uh, today, this morning, uh, I'm recording this on the 31st of January, this morning, I ran the San Salvestre, La Sal San Salvestre run, which is a big run in Spain. Yeah, and I've done it before. It was, oh, it's gone again now. You know I, was, I forgot the name of the place that I ran it in Spain and it's gone. This is, this is the hazard of having to keep your mouth going and your brain at the same time. Where were we? It's another Spanish city, and it won't. It just oh, Lorette de Mar. That's where it's Lorette de Mar. That's where I ran it about six years ago, and I got my lovely Lorette de Mar T-shirt for San Silvestre Run. And then I was going to run it two years ago in Benidorm, but um, I don't know. I can't remember whether I shared this with you, but I was going to run it in Benidorm, and I turned up on the day, and I thought this is a bit odd. There's not much prep going on here, and I just had a complete brainstorm, and the run had been the day before, and I'd missed it. And I was so disappointed. I was I was so looking forward to doing this run. And I just messed it up because I didn't have my normal uh, planning sheets and things like that with me. So it was great to be able to do it again today because I was so disappointed when I when I messed up the dates a couple of years ago. I was all ready for it and I messed it up. Anyhow, so I ran it today. Now, it was a virtual run and uh, got a nice T-shirt, San Silvestre run T-shirt. So I like, I like having the T-shirt. And we had to record it on a special app and um, I ran my five kilometer route this morning and then my, I did it twice today. My wife then did it. So I did it for time, I did it for speed. And then I ran with my wife, you know, who does it to, to finish it basically. And, um, and and we go at a much slower pace, but um, I think it helps, you know, my wife to, to, to complete it if she's, you know, got someone running with her. Um, so I did about 11 kilometers running today and um, I did two San Silvestre runs, but only one gets recorded. Um, and, and my wife's now got her first race t-shirt, which she's delighted with. So that's what we did today. Um, and and I, I've been trying to you know, gamify and incentivize the running because I have been struggling to keep it up without the park run and the, the weekly runs at the nature reserve. So another thing that I've done, 
to make sure I maintain my three weekly runs is I've entered for the Great Run Solo. Now, this is um, a virtual race. They're all virtual races at the moment. Um, and you just record them on an app, and it, but it works fine. And uh, this is by the people who do the Great North Run in the UK. It's a huge run in the UK. And the Great Run Solo is an accumulator challenge where you've got to, on 21 days or 21 times within January, you've got to walk, jog or run. Now, I was totting up my runs in January and I should get 17 or 18 runs in. That's me running every other day as I am at the moment. Now, and my wife and I at the moment, we're doing enough long, I mean, really long walks. You should see our step counts when we go out for a walk. Uh, we've, you know, we've done, we, we're doing sometimes at least 10 kilometers walking in a day and, and sometimes considerably more than that when we go on one of our long walks. So those will also count. Having totted up my runs, I get 17 or 18 runs in. That's only another three activities, which is going to be easy. So it feels like quite a tall challenge that. But I, when I worked out on paper, I thought, yeah, I think I could do that. So I'm going to be doing the great run solo in January. And that will just make sure I keep those three weekly runs up. The, the, the problem is, is uh, although the weather's you know beautiful in Spain, it is it's cool in the mornings it's not cold it's cool i've got running gloves and i've i wore my running gloves for the first time this week not not because my hands are freezing but because my hands are cool that it's more comfortable to wear gloves just to give you you know an idea of what the temperature's like but you, you you've got blue sky and the sun's coming up at that time and the minute the sun's up it's nice and warm um but but it is always harder to go out when it's a little bit you know cooler and um i can't run well i say i can't run um, when I get up in the morning, I get up at 7.40 on a run morning. And then by the time I've just had something to eat and I, I've got in my running gear, it's about eight o'clock, 10 past eight. And it's light at that time. So again, that's a safe time to run uh, at that time of day. So that's that's when I do the runs as well. But also it means get up out of bed <laughs> as well. So there's, there's several disincentives to encourage me not to run. Um, but I think having that accumulator challenge will just keep my mind in the game so uh, that's coming up in January at the end of January this is quarter one goal still we're going to go to Benidorm so we're going we're going to go to a side visit to Benidorm so I'm just booked I think it's for a week something like that weeks eight days something like that and um, we're going to we'll go up to Benidorm we'll get a little apartment in Benidorm when I'm in Benidorm I will run every day along the beach because I just love it so much and there's so many other runners there it's just lovely and um, we're going to do a little side trip. We're going to go to Alicante as well. So I'll, I'll run on the beach at Alicante, which is also very beautiful. Um, but we're going to go into Alicante as well because we, we've been trying to figure out the things that we haven't seen in the area. We've been here a few years and there's a lovely uh, palm tree park in Alicante, which is just slightly out of Alicante. And we've not been there before. We've worked out that we can get to it from a bus from the city centre. So we want to go and have a look at that park while we're heading back from Benidorm. So that will be a side trip probably of nine or ten days. And we want to do that in January because at the moment in Spain, the, the, the borders, effectively the county borders, if you want to call them that, are closed. And they're closed at the moment until January the 15th. And we're quite near to Mercia. And, and we're hoping to be able to go to Mercia for another side trip, but that's going to be later. If if the borders are cleared, then we'll we'll do it. But I don't think that will be till later. I think we'll look at end of February 
to march and it all depends you know on vaccines and all the usual stuff so you you know you can't you can set a goal but you might not hit it uh, certainly with things at the moment we could definitely do Benidorm because it's we, we don't have to cross any borders to do that uh, so to get to Benidorm we just jump on a local bus up to Alicante and from Alicante we catch the tram um, up to Benidorm so uh, that's the plan. Benidorm, uh, it's the last week of January and the first week of February. We'll have a little side adventure when we do that. And then, of course, in quarter one, we've got to move back to the UK. I told you last week that the plane tickets are booked for March the 30th. Um, interestingly, all the indications are at the moment that we could we, we, we could stay out here longer because we've, we've got the kind of evidence that we were resident here from, from October. I've got well, by that time, I'll have five or six months worth of Spanish uh, banking showing that I've been buying food here and paying health insurance and all of that sort of stuff. So, um, you know, apparently it looks like reading between the lines that we might be able to stay here as long as six months. But I, I don't think we're going to do that. I think we'll still be going back in March only because it's a bit, you know, we're not sure. We're not entirely sure. So um, but I think also to keep myself safe from tax the latest I could stay here uh, would be when I've been six months in the country. The very latest we could stay here is April the 14th, I think. So we, we might potentially bump it to eight, April the 14th, but I couldn't do it any longer than that because of the tax situation. So I'm anticipating that we'll be moving back to the UK right at the end of quarter one this year. When I got to move back, I got to go to my storage unit and take out all the things that we packed in there in October. This podcast is supported by affiliate sales of memberships to the Alliance of Independent Authors, Ally, which is the professional business membership organization for self-publishing authors. Now I found that I usually cover the cost of my membership by using the special codes that they give out for free listings and revisions on Ingram Spark. Just use a couple of those over the course of a year and your membership will be paid for. However, Ally is much, much more than that. You can access expert advice, great support and community, a range of podcasts suitable for authors at all levels, and the amazing online conferences, which gather industry titans several times a year in order to share their best tips and tricks. When you purchase your Ally membership through my affiliate link, you pay the same price as normal, but I take a percentage of the sale proceeds and they go to support my time and effort in producing this podcast. To check out the essential professional membership service for all indie authors, just head over to paulteague.com forward slash ally. That's A-L-L-I. I want to give you an overview of 2021, not just quarter one in that year, but some of the, the broader plans that I've got for 2021. And one of those I've alluded to already is that I want to write and publish the third and final Walker Bay trilogy. And I want to make the nine pack box set my lead product in 2022. So I've been dining out on the 12 pack of books, the, the thrillers that I've got for certainly this year and I hope to be able to dine out on it at least in a partial way in 2021 but I want to have something fresh to have for 2022 end of 2021 beginning of 2022 and I'm planning that that will be my nine pack box set of Walker Bay trilogies and you know so that that's going to be a substantial read at that time. I still haven't completely parked the idea of having a Christmas story, which I have set up within that trilogy. We're just going to have to see how the next year pans out. I'm, I'm not even going to commit to that. My my one 
thing that I want to get done is to finish the Walker Bay series in 2021. And that, of course, then will be the first series I've written. I've always written trilogies. I've written standalones but I'd never written a series before, and that will then be my experience of writing a series. But of course, I've, I've done it in the way I know best. My series is going to be written as three trilogies, because that way I think I play to my strength. I think I write a reasonable trilogy. I can keep the pace up. And I think, I, I think right from the offset, when I wrote my first trilogy with The Secret Bunker, I, I find it's one of the things I am able to do is to pace it over three books and to make the book sufficiently different and exciting over the three books. So I chose to write my series rather than as nine standalones, as three, um, you know, three trilogies. Um, and although it's better to read those books in order, you could read them as standalone. I think I think the worst that you'd experience if you read Morecambe Bay 2 trilogy without reading Walker Bay 1 Trilogy first, I think the worst that would happen is you'd think, oh, I'd quite like to know what happened there. So it would make you read book one, I think. Um, I had one or two beta readers who were, frankly, moaning minis um, because, you know, they'd just been offered a three three pack of books to read for free and, and they hadn't even re- read the first one. Um, so I wouldn't have thought they'd have volunteered unless they'd read the, the first one, but they they did. Uh, there's nothing weird as folk. And, um, and then proceeded to complain to me that they needed to know about the first books. So, uh, you know, whatever. So <laughs> anyhow, I think that you could read the second trilogy and all it would do is is whet your appetite for the first one. I think, oh, actually, I think I might park this and get the first one and read them in order. And in actual fact, um, again, just, you know, because I do like to respond to feedback, all of the Walker Bay Trilogy books now have a recommended reading order in them. So I tell you which order to read the books in just for perfect clarity, just, you know, so that people don't buy a trilogy and then think, oh, I feel cheated out of that. So uh, they've all got a running order on, recommended reading order. They have them at the front of the paperbacks, I've got all the recommended reading order there now, uh, you know, just to be perfectly clear about things. So uh, that really is my my number one thing that I must do in 2021 is get that series finished off. A couple of other things, and, and some of these, unfortunately, are, are COVID dependent. Um, but I'm I, I, I expressing these things in my goals because my personal complete amateur predictions for the covid situation and these are complete amateur predictions but this is just determining how i plan my year and how i work out what i think i'm going to do this year is i suspect that we'll have a huge peak over christmas and new year because people won't be able to contain themselves and but i i suspect that that peak will will kind of will will come head to head with uh, increasing vaccine program and then at some point it will start to drop. And also, and I'm thinking, I'm talking UK here as well, um, as the weather gets better in the spring, uh, I would have thought that uh, you're less cooped up inside and therefore it would spread less badly. Now, I am a dystopian writer. Uh, so the thing may mutate and turn us all into zombies and all of these sorts of things, you know, so we don't know about that yet. But um, assuming, assuming we continue on this trajectory, I hope that by the time we get to April, May, things should be a lot more normal. So that's that's just me with my amateur planning. It might all go to pop. You know, there's no intelligence there. That's just the way I, I see it. So with that said, I'm hoping that towards the end of the year, 
we might get some events in. That's what I'm hoping. So I'm hoping that if it's on this year, that I will be able to go to the Morecambe Crime Festival. That's usually held in September. So that feels like a reasonable time frame to me for that event to be on. Now, I know that they were having some funding difficulties, but I also know that I think that I'm pretty sure they're intending to hold it this year if they can. I would really like to, of course, I'd be terrified, but I'd quite like to be a guest at that, seeing as I've written um, six books and will be in the middle of writing nine books uh, based around Walker Bay. I've got a few contacts who can help with that, but that is something I quite like to do if that festival is on in September. And if I do manage to achieve that, I could be panicking about it from the minute they book me until the minute I have to do it. But it does feel like the right sort of thing that I ought to be doing, really. If they've got a crime festival, I've written crime books based in Morecambe, it feels like something I ought to be doing or at least aspiring to. So I'm going to try for that again. And I know that Mark Dawson has talked about an event later in the year. And I was very disappointed to miss Mark Dawson's event in, was it was it March? It feels so long ago now, wasn't it? I think it was the beginning of March 2020. And we were in that zone with covid where we weren't quite sure what to do should i go should i not go and my call was not to go at the time i decided not to go and that was hugely disappointing because of course i you know, i really wanted to be there and really wanted to see everybody so if mark dawson holds an event this year i suspect the london book fair will be too soon for him to commit to that but he, I've heard half mentions on his podcast that they would do it later in the year. So I'm hoping maybe September, October, maybe. I'd certainly go to that if that was on. Also, 2021 plans. Again, we're booked in for Beridon for a month in November. Not quite sure how we'll travel next year, but I did want to put a line in the sand and say, right, we're going to Spain again um, over winter or for, for, for some time during winter. And that will be November next year. That's booked and paid for that trip. The moment that I can, I want to resume park run and my park run tourism, which is where I do park runs in a place that I don't live. And we usually stay in a hotel and have a nice weekend and, and we do a park run on the Saturday. So the moment that that happens now, again, they've twice talked about coming back to park run. It nearly happened twice during the pandemic because I think the idea is that amateur athletics are generally safe, they're outside, and if they make a few uh, adjustments to the way that they run part runs, then it's something that we could do pretty safely. So I'm hoping, I'm kind of thinking ooh, about Marchish time, March, Aprilish time, by the time we come back to the UK, I'm hoping they resume park run. It's going to be agony for me if they resume park run. I'm still out in Spain and I'm seeing pictures of people running in my local park. That is going to be agony. So Oh, that's going to create a dilemma. That is because they don't do part run in Spain. They haven't got part run in Spain. Uh, fan fancy that. Fancy not having part run in Spain. So, uh, yeah, uh, so I'm, I'm sort of gambling that about March, April-ish time, part runs will probably start again. And also uh, my lovely runs that I do at the Nature Reserve on Sunday mornings that I'm hoping that they will also resume. So the minute they do, I'm back there. I'm back there. But I don't know when. I think it will be... If I were a betting man, I would say that those things will start quarter two of 2021, not not quarter one. But, you know, I'm complete amateur talking nonsense off the top of my head. That's just my own thought processes, though. I suspect they'll start around quarter two. Um, that feels like it'll be about right with the vaccine rollout and things like that. So those are my broader writing plans for 2021. <laughs> 
As a podcast listener, you probably have several shows just like this one in your podcast feed. But have you ever considered setting up your own show? This podcast is produced using a service called Anchor, and I can honestly say that it makes recording and publishing a podcast an absolute breeze, and you can do it for free. In my book, How to Start a Podcast, I'll pass on my radio and podcasting experience to help you to set up your own show and start sharing your knowledge, expertise, and enthusiasms. I've packed everything I know into this book, which is available in ebook and paperback formats and is listed wide across multiple platforms. I've been paid hundreds of pounds to consult one-to-one on this topic, but you can access everything I know for a fraction of that price. So, if you've ever wondered if you should start your own podcast, head for bookstoread.com forward slash podcast right now. And before you know it, you'll be hosting your own podcast. So now you know what 2021 looks like, let's bring you up to date with my writing news since we last chatted. This is just a reminder, I think I did tell you about this last week, that I have a reread news today promotion on the 13th of January, and that is for my 12 pack of books. And I'm clearly looking for sales and reads on that. Now, I've never done, I don't think I've done anything of that size on e-reader news today. So we'll just see how it goes. I'll let you know. To be honest with you, I find that most of those promotion sites don't really move the needle very much. But I'll give it a try. You know, it doesn't cost very much. It's $50 and uh, every little bit helps, doesn't it? Since we chatted last week, I've decided to be a bit more confident with my Facebook advertising while I'm cash rich in the business. It also occurred to me that it's quite a good way for me to reduce my profits in this year and to carry more money forward. So by being more aggressive with my Facebook ads expenditure, it means that I I have to pay, I, I, I pay for the ads, say I'm advertising in January, I pay for loads of ads in January. The books that I sell in January, I don't get paid for until is it March or April? March or April, three months later. So in many ways, it's a way of spending money now in this tax year, and then the money comes back to me in a new tax year. So it did occur to me that if I'm slightly more confident with my Facebook spending at the moment, while I'm cash rich, it might just help to reduce my tax bill. Because one of the things I forgot to tell you last week is I've had to put money by for a tax bill as well, as well as all the other things I've saved up for. The other thing I didn't tell you last week, when I was saying to you that I've got a salary till, is it June 2022, and I've paid for all my softwares and expenses, I forgot to tell you a couple of things. Number one is I've also had to put quite a lot away for tax. And my software tells me what my corporation tax is going to be at any given time. So I've had to put um, money by for that. And the other thing I forgot to tell you is I've also got the money by for edits and book covers for my Morecambe Bay Trilogy 3. So, so my whole expenses for the, everything I'm telling you at the moment, all of those expenses are in the bank um, or, or earned already. Um, so that just updates you from last week. But back to the to the Facebook advertising, it did occur to me that I ought to push this a little bit more. So the 12 pack of books I was just advertising in the UK and the US. I've also started up my ads in Canada and Australia again. Um, and But I've still got low budgets. I'm running low budgets on them at the moment still. So I think it's £10. I've got two ads in the UK which are performing well. The clicks are the cheapest. I think they're about 16 pence per click. And the conversion's good, which is why I could do this. In that if you click, most people usually buy it. I, you know, I know that from my sales. So 
I've got £10 per day on two UK ads, £5 per day on two US ads. I've got one Canada ad, £5 a day, and one Australia ad, £5 a day. So quite a lot, those are all on my 12-pack of books. The other thing I've done is I've created Facebook adverts around my uh, Morecambe Bay Trilogy 1, and they are specifically targeting people who watch the Bay on TV. But I've got two ads going. I wanted to test two different audiences. So the, the, the audiences are, you know, thriller readers. Uh, unfortunately, I can't target the Bay television series. I don't have a Facebook page or anything that I can target. None of the stars has anything on Facebook that I can target. So I've had to go for psychological thrillers. I've had to target, um, I've tried targeting ITV, which is the TV channel where they're going um and, and various various other things um the adverts themselves though say like the bay on tv then you'll like this you know you, you must read these if you watch the bay so they're all about the bay on tv very much going for people and trying to get the buzz about around the bay but what i have done is i've got two ads running there and i've targeted them geographically so one of the ads is going uk wide but it excludes a 50-mile radius of Morecambe. The other ad is around a 25-mile radius of Morecambe. So I'm basically what I'm looking for is, is there a difference in the buying habits of people who are local to Morecambe, who will recognise all the locations and read it because they just want to read about places they know, and a national audience who don't have intimate knowledge possibly of Morecambe, but like the series. Now, interestingly, the cheapest clicks that I'm getting are on the the national ads rather than the Morecambe ads, which I think is quite um, interesting. I'll just get my Facebook ads up and I'll just give you a couple of facts and figures about the ads uh, that you may find interesting. So let me just bring up my my uh, my, my ads now and I'll, I'll just tell you some you know, little facts and little bits of information which you may find interesting. Just bear with me when I'm clicking all the wrong things. I do have this as a shortcut link on my page. But let's let that load. Okay, so um, my my Morecambe Bay ads, I've just been running these for, what, a couple, uh, couple of days, five days, something like that. So Morecambe Bay, 25-mile radius of Morecambe, I've had uh, 191 clicks this week, uh, and I'm getting 18 pence per click. The national adverts that have been running for five, five days, six days, something like that. I've had 258 clicks on those adverts and I'm uh, getting 16 pence per click. So a difference of tuppence per click, not a huge amount. So no, I won't stop, I won't stop them. I'll just keep running them until I get some more data. And um, my budget, I've set a budget on each of those adverts for 500 pounds um, until the end of January. So it will run the ads evenly over five weeks until it's spent my £500 budget. So uh, in, um, going to the 12 pack of books, let me just give you some numbers for these. So my, my US adverts are getting 18 pence uh, per click. My UK advert is getting 16 pence per click. Interestingly, in Canada, I'm getting 12 pence per click. In Australia, I'm getting 7 pence per click. So that's really quite a difference. Now, what I'll need to do, um, so in, in, in the, again, the five days, when did I do this? December 28th, that it's the, so it's five days. It's the 31st when I'm recording this. So in five days, I've had 114 clicks 
in Canada, and that's 12 pence per click. And in, in Australia over the last five days, I've had 211 clicks on the link, and that's seven pence per click. So what I need to do is I need to interrogate my my sales and I need to see whether those are actually converting to sales. Now I know that in Australia I tend to get poorer feedback in Australia so that, that I'm assuming that's a kind of Brit kind of you know cult, cultural thing. The, the, the Australians seem not to um, en masse like my books. I've had to, you know I get some quite strict feedback from Australia. They just sort of don't like them but they are uh, very British books. So, um, you know, that's just something that I've perceived. I've got no particular data to back that up. But seven people click is very exciting. So I obviously need to look at that. And then I got another uh, UK advert going on the 12 packs. That's uh, 16 pence per click. And in the US, 18 pence per click. So all those click amounts are fine because the conversions and the sales from those are always good. And I'm quite happily, happy with all of those. But it's very exciting to have a seven pence per click in Australia. I've also started to promote my sci-fi box set again and this has been running I can't remember when I started running this they've all been going for about five days I think um, you know I think I did them on Monday I, I always forget what day it is but they've been running about five days and so I've got I've got um, sci-fi seven pack of books running and I've got a US advert going and a UK advert going both of those adverts at the moment are giving me 12 pence per click so in the US in the last, I think it's five days, I've had 169 clicks at 12 pence per click. And in the UK, I've had 170 clicks at 12 pence per click. So all of those click rates I'm quite happy with. So at the moment, I'm advertising my 12 pack of books, my seven pack of sci-fi books, and a my first Morecambe Bay trilogy. And all of those books are being advertised at 99 pence or cents and the the thinking behind that because this is this is where I'm having my success this is where I'm making my money at the moment is I'm selling something of huge value for 99 pence and cents and I but I'm making it available for free in Kindle Unlimited so I'm getting uh, lots of page reads it's the page reads I'm playing for generally I look at the cost per click to make sure that I'm making profit from the sales and that profit will pay for the adverts. It will just slightly more than pay for the adverts. And then I look at accruing my page reads so that uh, the page reads is where the bulk of my income comes. And if I can, I want to, I want to try and get some page read bonuses again. But I need to be hitting, as I told you last week, I need to be hitting, it's about I certainly need over a million page reads to be getting anywhere near a bonus. So, uh, you know, you have to build it up over two to three months, those page reads. It, it takes some time. And my page reads this week, uh, I'm up to 301,000, 301,549 page reads. That's my, incidentally, my December page reads. So that, that's pretty well a month worth of page reads. I'm getting about 10,000 page reads per day. I think that is slightly up from last week because it was uh, just under... Um, 10,000 a day I think last week so they are going up uh, but I, I reckon you know before you start going really crazy you generally did a couple of months of that so I would hope that by the time we hit March-ish if, if I'm going to have success with these ads if I, if I don't go for broke on them then by March-ish if I'm, if I'm not if I'm not hitting 
near a million that I'm, I'm not going to be able to do it again. So that's really what we're playing for at the moment with the ads. So um, other writing news this week, I've published my three Walkham Bay 2 paperbacks to Amazon and I published Bound by Blood to Ingram Spark. So all the paperbacks are out now as well. They're all done. That's very straightforward to do. And I mentioned this earlier, I've already created the files for the three pack that's released in February and the six pack, which is released at the end of January. I, I did it all together. When I had the final files for Bound by Blood, I just did it all as a job lot, uh, paperbacks, box sets. And this is the joy of vellum that you, 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 know, you clone a file, you just pull, pull a book in, take a book out. It's just, just takes minutes to do it in vellum. So I just did it all as a job lot. And so Morecambe Bay 2 is done. All the work is done on Morecambe Bay 2 now. So I am officially at rest and moving into nonfiction mode. When I had my beta readers giving me feedback, I had several people saying to me, can you list the book on Goodreads so I could leave a review for you? And I, I looked at Goodreads when I started writing years ago, decided that I ate the thing and I don't use it as a reader and really haven't done much with it. And so I, I've got three book read, uh, Goodreads accounts. I've got one for nonfiction. I've got one for sci-fi. I've got one for thrillers. I am that, you know, I'm organized enough to do that. The, the profiles are properly completed, but I never particularly look at it or pay attention to it. But uh, when I was asked to list the books, I did list the books in Goodreads. Didn't even know you could do that, but I, they just seemed to come in automatically over time because I've never listed anything before. But I did list those books. And when I was looking at it, I thought, mm, when I saw how many reviews I got on Goodreads, I thought, much as I dislike Goodreads, I probably ought to pay a little bit of attention to this. So I have actually gone through my Goodreads profiles, just made sure books have got the right covers, made sure we're up to date, made sure my books have been listed. I did find out that I my, my old non-fiction books, for some reason, and this is probably because I may have listed them in the old days as P.T for P.T. And I don't put the dot in there. I, I, could try, I was trying to work out why my old non-fiction profile isn't bringing in my new non-fiction books. But to be honest with you, I was going to go to the Goodreads librarians and say, can we fix this? And then I thought, do you know what? All those books in that old non-fiction profile are old now. They're not for sale. And so what I did is I've set up a brand new Goodreads profile for non-fiction. And it just brings in my new books now with the new covers and obviously, you know, the, the, the feedback on those. And that's what I will add my if I get these two non-fiction books done in quarter one of this year, they will all go in that series now. So I'll have my new ongoing long-term non-fiction books in that author name. So I've put a link to that uh, uh, profile. I've put it on the show notes for this week if you want to take a look at that. There's an awful lot there. It's just a photo of me, uh, a bit of information about my non-fiction and it pulls the three the three books in but that's what I will use for my non-fiction now but if you do ever look for me on Goodreads you'll also find an old non-fiction profile and that's got all my old non-fiction books I don't sell them anymore I just figured do you know what if I just set up a new author profile with a brand new email it tidies it up going forward and that and that's what I've done with my my Goodreads profiles I had a Homer Simpson dough moment this week and this was inspired by another beta reader saying to me, well, I've, I've reviewed the book on Amazon, I've reviewed the book on Goodreads, I've reviewed the book on my blog, I've tried to review it on BookBub, but I can't. Now, can I be honest with you? I didn't even know you could review books on, on BookBub. I'm quite embarrassed about that. I, I didn't even know you could do that. Um, so that was news to me. And then 
I, in response to this query, I thought, all right, well, yeah, I'll go and list the book. And then I realised, silly, silly, silly boy, I should have listed my new releases the moment they were on pre-order because BookBub sends an email, a new release email out, doesn't it, to your to everybody who follows you. So I've got about 500 and something followers on BookBub um, for my psychological thrillers. And I forgot to put Trust Me Once and Fall From Grace. I forgot to list them when I, the minute I put them on pre-order so that I, I would get the benefit of a new release alert. That is such a valuable thing. That was one of the lessons I learned last year when I was doing rapid release. And how soon did I forget it in less than a year? So this is a reminder for me, but also for you. The minute you list a book on pre-sale, make sure that, so it's got an Amazon presence. Pull that book into BookBub and BookBub will issue a new release alert. And they are well worth having because those new release alerts go to, well, in my case, 550, whatever it is, people who've already bought my books before and who are following me on, on BookBub. So um, I'm so annoyed at that. And you could bet your life that obviously, fortunately, Bound by Blood will get a new release alert. But you know, I don't really want book three in isolation to get a new release alert, but it will do. And you can bet your life that I've now listed the six pack and the three pack, so they will also get their new release alerts on BookBub. But that's one of the things that BookBub gives us for free, which is hugely valuable. So the minute you start building up followers in BookBub, please make sure you do that. It's you know it's one of the, the few things that actually makes a difference. You will sell some books from those new release alerts. And Homer Simpson here, Dole, completely forgot to do it on this set of releases I've been doing since November. Very annoyed with myself about that. Oh, a little bit of extra information, by the way, um, about my Facebook ads. Interestingly, on the Morecambe Bay ads, I've decided to target men. Now, you'll know that I don't usually target men in my Facebook ads because uh, men, uh, this is very blanket, but my experience of the comments that you get is that if you get a, an off-color comment, a sort of this is rubbish this looks a lot of our rubbish what a con you know it's only 99p it'll be a heap of rubbish it usually not always it usually comes from men and so i as a policy have just decided not to target men but also if you listen to alex uh, newton from klytics um he will tell you he just sent out an email this week about female sleuths he will tell you that that is a genre that many women the majority of women read so so i know that you know really a woman over the age of 40 is my ideal reader i know that because that's who i write to and that's who you know who likes the books best that doesn't mean that a female who was 20 or 30 wouldn't like it it's just where the the sweet spot is that's all that is now with these more ads, i decided to target men very unusually in my facebook ads and the reason for that was because the ads were talking about the Bay on television. I figured that if you were um, a man who looked at that advert, then you would like the Bay, and so therefore you're in my kind of territory anyway. So I figured that, that because the Bay was the, the main message, they do you like the Bay, if you like the Bay, you'll like this, then if, if that uh, made a man look at the advert, then they would be in my kind of zone. They would be the right kind of male audience that I was looking for. So interestingly, <laughs> you know, I'm trying not to be stereotypical here. I'm, you know, I'm trying not to tar everybody with the same brush. But guess where the off-colour comment came from this week? Which gender did it come from? Yeah, it came from the men again. And uh, and so I just, you know, I, I hit hit the comment. But um, it's just that, um, I think it's just that the 
the different genders um, use social media in a different way to express themselves. And the way that the uh, male species express themselves is not always welcome on adverts that you're paying for. So my immediate response to this is, um, you know, I either either ban immediately so they don't see the ad and don't get tempted to comment on it again, or I hide the the comments if they're off colour in any way whatsoever. But I am targeting men in those ads for as long as they play nicely. Then, you know, if I get too many men not playing nicely, it'll just go to women again, and I'll I'll go for the easier route. Um, I want to uh, share a couple of podcasts with you that I've been listening to and getting great value from. The Story Studio, which is Johnny, Dave, and Sean, which I've listened to for years, I had felt it was sort of going a little bit off in in recent months I, I was not really interested in some of the guests and it, i was just going off it a little bit essentially i'm really interested in johnny sean and dave that's really what i want to hear and when they bring on other people from their stable they're, they're right i'm not just not really interested it it sort of feels like a pale imitation of them i think we all listen to that podcast to hear them and so i was going off it a bit and then they 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 introduced a, a series of 12 i think it is state of the industry interviews and it's been an absolutely excellent series they've been talking to people who are really kind of pivotal in in self publishing so i think Joanna Penn's been on they've had Alex Newton from Kalytics they've got uh, Dave Chesson from uh, Kindlepreneur they've had some really really good guests on and they're basically talking about the state of the self-publishing industry. I found it absolutely fascinating. Listen, so if you don't listen to the Story Studio, I would highly recommend that you check in if only half of them, 50% of the ones you know that interest you, listen to those interviews. They're extremely interesting. They're looking at trends, developments, what's coming up in the future, things that we need to know about. Very, very interesting, those. I've, it's really reinvigorated my interest in that podcast after it was beginning to wane a little bit. So great series that. It's the state of the industry interviews that you're looking for. Those are the latest ones. They're, they're, I think there must be about episode eight or nine out of 12 in those. So they, they're actually ongoing at the moment. Another podcast that I've recently started listening to is the Rebel Author podcast. Now, this is presented by Sasha Black, and Sasha uh, presents on the uh, Alliance of Independent Author podcast. And I can't remember what made me listen to the podcast. It's called the Rebel Author podcast. And I, I guess in many respects, you know, when you do branding, branding is there to attract or repel. And, and I think the title had put me off, you know, because I'm not really, not really a rebel. You know, I'm a bit, a bit beige, really. I'm not really a rebel. Um, and, and so maybe the the kind of the rebel had, had put me off, um, and uh, but I'd, I'd listened to Sasha on the Alliance of Independent Author podcast and thought well, I'm interested in this and heard her mention a podcast. I can't remember what made me listen to one of the podcast episodes, and I'm really getting on very well with it. Now, again, my tastes have changed with podcasts. In that I'm I must admit I'm much less interested these days in interviews. I, I really can take or leave interviews these days. I, I barely listen to interviews. What I'm really interested in is self-published authors telling me what they're doing, what's working, what's not, what their frustrations are. And there are more people doing this now, which I'm really pleased about. You know, people who've been very, very painfully honest about what's working and what's not. And um, Sasha has a, an interview format but she starts every episode talking about her her own author life. And that's the bit that I'm really, really enjoying. It's actually quite extended. It's usually about 20 minutes at the beginning. It's substantial in its own right at the beginning of the podcast. So uh, again, um, you know, I, I pick and choose with the interviews if I'm interested in the topic. 
but I, I'm listening to every single bit at the beginning that Sasha's doing, talking about her, her author career. Uh, so I highly recommend, I'm not, that's not one I've not recommended before because I'm a, I'm a recent recruit to it, but I really am uh, enjoying those personal updates. And I just wanted to also to recommend the podcast of a previous interviewee on this podcast, Amelia Hay, who writes crime books, but also has her own authorpreneur podcast. That's what it's called, the authorpreneur podcast. And uh, Amelia has has done again. You know, I, I'm the, the, the podcasts that are resonating most for me are the ones where people are painfully honest about what's working and what isn't. And uh, Amelia's, um, all, 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 she's trying to get her 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 books going, and she's had some incredibly painful experiences with reviewers, and um, you know things not 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 going to plan. And she's very honest about that. And you can learn so much from that honesty. And um, and, and I've known Amelia's done a podcast for some time, but I'd only just got round to sort of putting it in my queue and listening to it. And she's actually catching up on the COVID months at the moment because her domestic situation has changed. I think her, her hubby's at home and they're finding it quite difficult to share the space. So she's actually in a catch-up mode at the moment. But I, I'm finding some of the things that she's talking about in that podcast absolutely um, you know, fascinating. And, and, and the joy of, of, of us all doing these different podcasts, I guess, is that we all bring different experiences to the party. Um, and I'm loving the range of people now who are doing these kind of almost confessional podcasts and they're being very painfully honest so painfully honest sometimes that it hurts um, so I, I really recommend those two uh, as well as the other podcasts that I always talk about the Authorpreneur podcast with Amelia Hay and the Rebel Author podcast with Sasha Black a couple to add to your listening queue um, more little bits and pieces of news I just wanted to let you know interestingly that I'm getting payments every month now from Ingram Spark they're not um, high payments they're, they're nothing they're not going to change anything but um, every month now I get a payment from Ingram Spark and I, I'm going to be honest with you that in the old days when I first listed on Ingram Spark I listed my early books and then I, I gave it a wide berth for a while and now I'm back to Ingram Spark in the early days of Ingram Spark I'm sure you used to have checkboxes where you could control yourself where the books get listed but now it doesn't have that element of control um, you don't there's no tick boxes or anything like that for distribution not not that I've seen on Ingram Spark and so I'll be honest with you I haven't really got a clue how I'm selling those books I don't know where they're listed I haven't got a clue uh, they've gone out into the ether somehow and somebody's buying them um, but I am selling a reasonable number of books in paperback on Ingram Spark and they said it'd be a check every month and so I'm very happy with that. And that feeds into the observation that I've had. And, and this is particularly true since I started selling that 12 pack of books last January. If there's one thing I've learned in the last year, it's that the more books you have, the more units that you have. So by a unit, I mean, you might have written one book, but you might have released it as a paperback on Amazon, a paperback on Ingram Spark and an ebook. The the more bits and pieces that you've got that you can sell, and then when you've written a trilogy, you have a box set. When you've done two trilogies, you have a big box set. You know, you package everything together. The more bits and pieces you've got out there selling, the easier it is to make money from different sources. That's what I've found now. I got all these bits 
bits coming all over the place, you know, from a bit of non-fiction here. And, and on their own, they wouldn't be enough. But together, they make an amount of money that's worth having every month, even before I do any advertising. And that's what I would say to you, that if I've got any sense of anything really um, turning or changing in my business, it's that I've got so many books now, and they all, even if they all sell a little bit, they all bring... Uh, an amount of money in that makes a difference every month so uh, unfortunately I guess the feedback from that is write more books and write write in series that's the feedback from that but uh, yeah I mean you know it's nothing to write home about it's nothing exciting but it's another source of income that I didn't have I've submitted my sci-fi box set to bookbub it's gone as an international only deal because it is um it's in Kindle Unlimited, and they seem to prefer, sometimes you get lucky. I think the first time I ever listed Don't Tell Meg, it was Amazon exclusive. So sometimes you get lucky. But I'm just trying, while I'm in Kindle Unlimited, I'm trying submitting my box sets for international deals. Now, I think if I get that promo, it'll only be about $110, which is a complete blessing for a BookBub promo. But I'll let you know if I, if I get any, any joy with that. A lot of us who are on social media, and I told you last week that I'm backing off social media, but if you're on social media, most of us pray for a viral tweet. Most of us live in hope of a viral tweet. And um, I just wanted to tell you about Julie Cordoner's amazing viral tweet this week, because um, I don't think Julie planned it for one minute. I don't think she planned it for one minute, but she got a beautiful viral tweet this week. And I just wanted to talk about viral tweets uh, for a moment or two because uh, you know Julie is is the editor of my books, and I happened to see this in my feed, and it's just gone absolutely spare. And it's a beautiful, beautiful tweet. I'd really like you to have a look at it too, because um, you know if you're feeling down and fed up with all this COVID, it will spread beautiful good cheer. This tweet that's that's why it went viral. But Julie had um, Julie's uh, granddaughter had done a plan for a cardigan a christmas cardigan at school and it's you know a lovely kids design it's beautiful and julie as a as a treat had knitted very talented julie by the way it's brilliant absolutely amazing the work you've done on that but julie converted this primary school plan which is just drawn in felt pen into a jumper and shared the original plan from her granddaughter on Twitter with a picture of her granddaughter looking pleased as punch in front of the Christmas tree wearing this amazing jumper that Julie has knitted. And this tweet has gone spare. So I'm just looking at it now. Uh, it's had 805 retweets. It's had 165 quote tweets and it's had 16,500 likes. Now I was reading Julie's end of year blog a little earlier on today and it's had, um, Julie was saying in that blog that it's had national press attention and, and I think it's had um, Forgive me if I've got this wrong, Julie, but it was something like 100,000 views or something. It's it's had phenomenal amount of reaction. And the other thing is, is it's just had a beautiful sort of outpouring of people saying that this is such a beautiful tweet. And I just wanted to talk to you, really, about the nature of a viral tweet. Because when lots of organizations try and get that elusive viral tweet and I've told people because I've talked social media for years I've said you know don't even try it you cannot construct a viral tweet the whole nature of a viral tweet 
is that it, it, it it's it's something usually that happens by accident um and it, it takes on a life of its own a judas tweet is, is a, a perfect example of that it was it was timely the timing of it was beautiful it was at christmas it was at a time when my goodness we need something as lovely as that tweet you know because of, of covid because of the difficulties around christmas it's not a um, it's not a boasting tweet. It's not a promotional tweet. It's just a. It's just it encapsulates the joy of a childhood Christmas and a family Christmas beautifully. And I, I've, I'll put the link on the show notes because, as you can tell, I want you to have a look at this tweet. I just wanted to congratulate uh, Julie on that. But you know, if if you went off now and said, "All right, that was a great tweet. I'm going to try and recreate that," you would not be able to recreate it. Um, you know, it would probably fall flat. But Julie's done something there that's absolutely remarkable. And, um, you know, because she's a self-published author that many of us know, have a look at it. Just have a look at how that thing has taken a life of its own. And you will love the tweet, I guarantee it. It's just a beautiful tweet. So congratulations, Julie. And, um, you know, you've really given people a big lift and a tremendous amount of pleasure um, from that tweet. It's absolutely remarkable, the response you've had to that. Um I wanted to talk to you about the future of this podcast. Yes, the future of this podcast. As you know, I mean, um, things have been disrupted while we've been in Spain, but um, they've settled now. And I've had people writing to me while it's been a bit quiet. And then when I release an episode, I always get feedback from people saying that they're pleased that, I, that, I, that it's back and telling me how the podcast helps them. And, um, you know, I, I probably am a bit down on myself when I'm sitting here, you know, talking nonsense to myself I'm sort of thinking you know is, is this helping anybody is this useful for anybody and then I, I I do tend to listen back to old podcasts randomly and when I listen to them I think actually there's quite a lot of useful information in there but you know because it's just what I do every day I sometimes think you know is this useful to anybody is this handy am I wasting my time here but I you know I do get lovely feedback from you thank you very much for that and also thank you very much to the several people who've been buying me coffees on buy me a coffee uh, dot com this week uh, that's very much appreciated thank you very much for that but I did think um, I, I really couldn't see my way to doing podcasts when we came to Spain because you know it's been disrupted I had the books to get done I thought no you know I can't commit to podcast in October November December because I don't I don't I can't I've, I just wasn't sure that I'd be able to do them but actually now I, I do feel settled enough to commit to another 12 part season from January February and March. So I'm going to commit to from next week a 12 part podcast season and it will run until uh, I'll have to pre-record the last two because I'll be moving back to the UK and, and be among packing boxes. But I'm going to do a 12 part series that's going to take me to episode 380 and it will also take me to my I've forgotten which anniversary it is. It might be my fifth anniversary, my fourth or my fifth anniversary. And then I'd like to get to at least episode 400 this year, if I can. So certainly going to do 12 um, and, until we leave Spain. And then potentially try and get to at least 400 by the end of the year. But because I can't, I can't commit, I've got to commit in compartments at the moment because it's difficult to know the way life's going to go. So what I'm committing to, so you know where you are, is another 12 episodes starting from next week and that takes us through to I think it is the first week of April of podcast diaries 
So I was, after I'd done my kind of five-figure months, I was a little bit concerned about where I fitted into the podcasting scene because I wasn't, I wasn't sort of a beginner anymore, which is very much how the podcast has started. But yeah, I wasn't kind of, you know, a 20 books, I'm making a zillion dollars a year kind of person. I felt like I was in the fudgy middle, really. But having dropped a couple of update episodes and listened back to them, I thought, actually, I've still got quite a lot here I think that's useful to share um, and also the reality of having had those five-figure months and then not having five-figure months having that income drop again I do think there's value in me sort of sharing that part of the journey too because I think there's often this illusion that if you have this amazing um, income that it's going to go on forever and in actual fact you have to keep working to keep it going and you have to keep coming up with new ideas to keep that going. It doesn't just keep going of its own accord. Um, there's also a couple of interviews that I'd like to do too. I, I, I got a couple of people that I've spotted that I'd like to chat to who are doing great things. And they're people that I haven't necessarily heard on other podcasts before. They're, they're out of our sort of self-publishing arena. So there might be just a short series of interviews coming as well. So I thought, that's commit to that's certainly commit to 12 episodes of the diary of the update diaries now you'll have to appreciate that it might be a little bit sparse in some weeks because for instance that week we go to benidorm i ain't going to be getting a lot of writing stuff done so i will give you an update but it might only be a five minute or ten minute update um so when we're out on the road um things will be a, a little bit brief um they, they won't be you know half an hour or an hour long uh, but but you know so long as you're okay with that um i could i could commit to the 12 episodes um I, I i certainly we're settled enough to do the 12 episodes for me to know that i could do them you know i didn't know before what my setup would be i didn't know whether i could record quietly here um you know all these things which is why i didn't want to commit to anything in the last quarter but I, we're fine now we, we're good to go i'm happy to commit to another 12 episodes so that will start from next Saturday. So make sure your feed's updated. This is another long one. So at least I make up I make it up to you with long ones. At least when I come back, I make it up to you with long ones. And um, I've talked to you before about Robin Sharma. And Robin Sharma's one of these kind of mindset people that I I've got a lot of time for. I like to listen to his podcasts. I like his videos. Sometimes it's just a little bit, just a little bit, um, you know, a bit pie in the sky for me sometimes. But I get a lot of value from Robin Sharma, even though I don't take 100% from it. I maybe take about 75% from it. I get a lot of value from Robin. And I like the way he thinks differently. He's just a different voice out there. So I do recommend that you check Robin Sharma out. But he sent an email this week. Uh, called uh, entitled my 23 lessons of 2020 i just wanted to share some of these with you and um, i don't want to share all of them because some of them are you know a bit a bit up pie in the sky for my tastes but some of them i thought were really useful and at the end of a year at the beginning of a new year you know an end of a very difficult year the beginning of a year that i hope hope is going to be much better for all of us i just thought i'd share some of these because they they resonated really well with me so this is not 23 it's it's about i don't know how many is it it's about 18 i think it is 18 of the ones i thought were really worth listening to so this is all courtesy of robin sharma but he did say you can share it with people if you think it will help so i am number one then the world could change in a week we've all learned that this year haven't we that the world could change in a week number two we are stronger than we know. I think we've probably all found out that this year too. Number three, 
Heroes don't need big offices and lofty positions. Number four, deep change can yield profound growth if we seek the wonder within the mess. I think a lot of these apply to this year, don't they? I'm not going to comment on all of them. I'm just going to share them with you. But I, they just got me thinking when I heard a lot of these. I read a lot of these. Number five, a, fire, a far quieter life is a far more creative one. Number eight, so I've skipped a few here. Uh, number eight, you can handcraft your magnum opus or pay attention to the news, but you can't do both. That's alluding to doom scrolling of the news. Number nine, good music is so important to good moods. Number 11, critics and naysayers bark louder when you do better work. Number 12, a splendid morning routine has an outsized effect on the quality of your days and is battle-proofing against adversity. Number 13, spend as much time with elderly parents as you'll miss them terribly when they're gone. Number 14, immense possibility exists in intense difficulty. Number 15, solitude is the DNA of artistry. Number 16, in emergency, we get to see finer humanity. Number 17, one could be immensely productive in a pandemic. Number 20, the doing of hard things is how we grow braver as producers and people. Number 21, someone's opinion is just someone's opinion. 22, resting is not a waste of time, but an essential part of your peak performance. And finally, number 23, tough times always give way to better days. Patience is a beautiful virtue. Now take or leave those, but those are my favorite of Robin Sharma's lessons. And if you like a bit of mindset, I, I, I love listening to Robin Sharma because whether it's a bit pie in the sky for me or not, I love his kindness and positivity. I can't get enough of it. I'm just quite happy to listen to him. I read his books. And again, I don't, you know, I take about 75% of it in, but I do recommend you check him out if you want lots of positive thinking in the year ahead. That is it for this week. Another 12 of these coming up in the three subsequent months before we move back to the UK. Thanks ever so much for listening. Thanks ever so much to those of you who went on buy me a coffee and bought me a coffee. I shall be enjoying many of those coffees at that rather nice bar by the church in Torrevieja Square. Beautiful square, all beautifully decorated for Christmas at the moment and a lovely place to sit and watch the world go by. I really do hope that you have a much better, an amazing 21 Please let it be better than 2020. Let things improve over the year and that your New Year celebrations are fantastic and safe. I'll speak to you next week. Bye for now. You can check out the show notes and listen to the back catalogue episodes at paulteague.com forward slash podcast. If you want to record a question for me to answer on the show, head for paulteague.com forward slash question. If you've heard something that's helpful to you in your author business and you'd like to support the show, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash paulteague. That's it for this week's show. Thanks very much for listening. And I hope you have a great week of writing. From me, Paul Teague. Bye-bye for now.